Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and change makers. How do you write about community when you feel like you're living in hiding? When you don't want to commit to another group of people because past wounds are still oozing and ugly, you accept where you're at and let the words flow. Could healing come from this moment? In today's episode of Getting Work to Work, I'll share a chapter about avoiding community from my forthcoming book, A Curious Journey, Learning to Coexist in Solitude, Relationships, and Community. I've had my fair share of struggles with different communities over the past 20 years, but I'm not ready to be a hermit just yet. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 640. This week, I'm reading the chapter Avoiding Community from the third section of my forthcoming book called Us. I struggled writing this section the most because I haven't had the best experiences in community with others. A lot of it is honestly my own doing, but I haven't had the greatest experiences from school to religious communities, workplaces, and social media platforms. I've bounced around a lot and I've gotten hurt. Other times, I've just hidden, not wanting to be seen, not wanting to let people in. I chose this chapter because I've been thinking a lot about two things lately. The first is, how do I let people in and accept their help? And the second is, how do we handle the presence of doubt in community? I don't have all the answers, just a lot of questions, and I definitely need to spend more time reflecting on these two questions, but I do think they are related. Doubt is healthy. When was the last time you said, I don't know? And not only is doubt healthy, but you let people in when you follow it up with, let's figure it out together. So here's the chapter on avoiding community. Is it possible to avoid community? to be completely isolated, to be free of the expectations and responsibilities of any commitment to anybody? I wrestle with the blanket statements people say in favor of community. The cliches are plentiful. If you want to go somewhere, go alone. But if you want to go far, or you can't do life alone, or you shouldn't run your business in a vacuum. Anytime I hear these types of statements, I get skeptical. I really do. It's not that I don't believe the person saying them or even not trust them. The most trustworthy person still hits this block. It's that I'm still wrestling with what community means for my life. But to answer the opening questions, isolation only leads to insanity. Solitary confinement is often viewed as an inhumane practice. By removing someone from community with others, you are ripping them from their source of belonging, meaning, and safety. In this case, the safety is psychological. The attempt to avoid community is a valiant quest, but I think it's an impossible journey. There are so many forms of community that we naturally form that avoidance is a type of voluntary solitary confinement. One of the best blog posts I've read about community helped me make sense of my complicated feelings. Derek Sivers writes about the differences between local and global communities. In one sense, local is the place you live, the cares of your local issues matter deeply to you. But 
for me, the older I get, the more the community builds up around me and the less interested I become in things like wine bars, fancy restaurants, hotels, and financial services. But once I read Sivers write about the possibilities of building a global community, that was much more appealing to me. What I felt lacking in the local community could come alive anywhere in the world, from my back patio all the way to the Gold Coast of Australia. Hey, BeerNutsProductions.com, I see you there. Which form of community are you most energized by, local or global? Follow that excitement, act upon it, and start building a community of interesting people who care about similar causes and concerns that transcend place, boundaries, and politics. But another question I'm really wrapping my head around, is it important to like everyone in the community? I don't think it's possible. We are complicated animals. It's how those differences are celebrated and controlled that become a measure of a healthy or unhealthy community. What happens when the community's leader leaves, dies, is pushed out, attacked, ridiculed, assassinated, or humiliated? What are the stories told? The stories told in response to the most challenging of moments. Does it make the community stronger or increasingly divided and fractured? More purposeful and driven in pursuit of the cause? Look at how the group responds, but also pay attention to the relationships you have and what is said in those, and how you feel deep down inside. Are you growing in concern and care for others, or fueling hatred and a greater divide, us versus them? The more I write about community, the more I don't understand, along with a need to be in communion with others. I also notice a deeper desire the need to be in control, to tell people what to do, to have power over others, especially in the absence of control and power over my own life. It's a curious feeling. Where does it come from? It's an age-old story for me. It goes back to when I was six years old and my parents divorced. As I grew up and came of age in that reality, the desire to escape was born in my imagination. My gospel was not the saving grace of Jesus, but the rage and power of escape and belonging in the power chords and searing leads of Metallica. Myths and legends were formed in every riff, lyric, album, interview, and video. I want to control others so I won't get hurt again. But control, when poorly wielded and for the wrong reasons, only perpetuates a cycle of pain and frustration. I've avoided leadership because of this desire for control, and I knew what I was capable of, so I said no, and instead descended into myself. But could it be that the best opposition to controlling others is accepting the responsibility for your own life, to step up and begin leading yourself into new areas of healing and growth, to admit that you've been through hell and back again, Answering these questions are ideal places to start, but just that, a beginning. When we let people in and accept the help and care they have for us, we heal more than we can do alone. Such an easy paragraph to write, but the hardest to live out. 
I want to know what will happen if I let people in. It's this desire to know what will happen that drives us all. We tell stories that shape our reality in the hope that those stories will come true. But if you tell yourself a lie long enough that you believe it, does it become fact? The Flat Earth Society comes to mind. Is it a lie that the Earth is flat? Is it truth that the Earth is a planet, a sphere, in space, in an infinitely expansive universe? How do you know is a typical question in examining anything. What about how can you know? And how can you trust your own truth or knowledge? We find the stories that bring us any drop of peace and comfort with the hope that they will become true. That is the human experience. Throughout history, this was the trajectory of every moment we are taught, remember and disseminate, generation by generation, into the unforeseeable future. If how do you know is the entry-level question to the legitimacy of a community, what do you believe is next? Quickly followed by how can you not see it? Control emerges in the form of how doubt is handled in life and community. Does doubt lead to paranoid stories that help to satisfy and salve the painful truth? Does doubt lead to avoidance, ostracizing others, or rejection? Does doubt lead to empathy and acceptance? To doubt is to be human. The communities around us shape our response to doubt. I've been in communities that sought to eradicate doubt by posturing themselves as holy and using power to manipulate the weaker members into doing whatever needed to be done. Doubt was never exercised, just hidden. I've been on the receiving end of doubt in the classroom, teaching what I know faced with the blank stares of uncertainty and downright skepticism. How do you know? I'm trying to find an example of a community in my past that has handled doubt effectively, but I don't think there's been one. Is it possible that doubt is the first casualty of an unhealthy community? What if instead of banishing it, we define it, much like we do with mission, vision, and purpose statements, core values, and statements of faith? What would your statement of doubt and response say? Perhaps as communities, we can draft it together. How we will not only accept it, but also celebrate it. To see the truth of it, and use it as a spark for curiosity. When we doubt the effectiveness of our lives and community, we can then start to examine our efforts, motivations, and methods of impact. This truly seems to be healthy representations of managing collective doubt. How do you know transforms from skepticism to exploration in healthy communities that value doubt? Yes, the healthiest communities don't hide from doubt, but transform it through collective exploration and creative expression. It no longer becomes a question of devotion or value. If you truly believe you wouldn't doubt, is a hurtful statement to write, because doubt should never be weaponized. It should be embraced and welcomed. But as long as communities are built for war and winning, doubt will always be used as a weapon. So what is the antidote to the poisonous wounds inflicted by doubt? Doubt, but also faith. Faith in something beyond self, close relationships, and the community. Any purpose greater than the community. 
It could be a cause or mission, God, the universe, nature, our children's future. The control of doubt with certainty is how the narrative is protected and communities ruled with an iron fist. Doubt always leads to exile. What better way to keep people in line than the fear of living in shame? To be seen as a pariah, an outcast. And we've all been there. Well, that was an interesting, abrupt ending to that chapter. Might need to edit some more of that. What I've enjoyed most about reading from my book is hearing the words that took shape one year ago. I was afraid at first of how much editing there was going to be. Why couldn't it just be perfect? Why couldn't it come out of me fully formed? But through sharing, I'm learning to embrace these imperfections and enjoying the editing and shaping process into a book that will hopefully help not only myself, but any person who will read this book. Next week, I'm going to be sharing from the section called the Curiosity Toolkit. I hope you're looking forward to that as much as I am to see just how much more there is in this book. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life. <laughs>